Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who love, whom he loves and as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated again, let me welcome you here. Uh, my name is Brant, one of the pastors here. And I want to invite you at this time to join with me in a word of prayer as we turn to the Lord for his help. God, we ask uh, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. God, it's so beautiful and good that you've given us a wide diversity of um, kinds of literature in your Bible. So much for us to learn and to grow in as we study it. But God, we confess that we need your help this morning. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work, you would cause this word on these pages to come to life and to take root into our hearts, to change us to become more and more like Jesus, to love you, to serve you, and to follow you faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Proverbs this morning, and we are in our second sermon in our series on the book of Proverbs. And if you haven't yet Listen to the sermon that was preached last week, uh, the introduction to the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you to do that because there's some important ground that we covered uh, there that will set us up well for the rest of the series. And now we're in sermon two, which is an intro sermon of sorts again, but uh, in a different direction as we'll see in a second. And then the rest of our series, we're going to cover specific topics in the book of Proverbs. So we'll be immensely practical and looking through each of those topics in turn. And last week, as we began, we learned about the necessity of discipline and growing in the fear of the Lord in order to become wise. This proverb is all about becoming wise. Becoming wise is learning to live well in this world that God has created us. To live the best way that we can as God's creatures in this world that he's Made, But you may have been left thinking after last week, okay, Brand, that's really helpful, interesting, um, but what I want is a book. I want a little short book with the five key traits of the wise person. 
You know, I like those sorts of books in my professional and developmental life. Why can't I have that here for the book of Proverbs? Show me the portrait of the wise person. I want to know what that person, what he or she looks like. Well, I'm so glad you asked. You guys are obviously very, very wise people to ask that question. Because in our text this morning in Proverbs 3, 1 to 11, Solomon himself, the author of Proverbs, he shows us five characteristics of the wise person. Five things that we must be disciplined in our lives to pursue and to become if we are to become wise, to learn to live well in this world that God has put us in. So our outline this morning and the five traits that we'll be going through are these. Number one, the wise person living well in this world does not forget a father's teaching in verses one and two. Second, they do not forsake love and faithfulness in verses three to four. Third, they trust the Lord in verses 5 and 8. They honor the Lord in verses 9 to 10. And fifth, they do not despise discipline, but receive it as a loving father's instruction in verse 11. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to unpack each of these five characteristics. Usually I preach three-point sermons and occasionally two-point sermons, but we have five points. So we're going to be whatever percent longer than the usual sermon is because of those five points. Just kidding. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to jump in right away, verses 1 to 2, and point 1, the wise person. The wise person does not forget a father's teaching. Solomon writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So the first characteristic we see in this section, the portrait of the wise person is that they are someone that remembers Solomon's teaching. Or rather, they're someone that does not forget Solomon's teaching. And as we've studied in the book so far, we understand that Solomon wrote this exhortation, especially in chapters 1 through 9, to his sons. It's a father's instruction to his children. But the teaching that Solomon wants his sons to remember, it's not his niche interests. Like, hey, I want you guys to support this Israeli sports team. I was a big disappointment to my son or to my father because he wanted me to support uh, his sports teams and I wasn't very interested in sports at all. Uh, But the instruction that Solomon wants his boys to remember is not just this niche interest that he has. It's instruction that God has commanded every good father to give to their children in scripture. The instruction of God's word given to a parent to teach their children so that they might live. And in fact, in these words that we just read in Proverbs 3, 1 to 2, we're meant to be reminded of the words of Deuteronomy 5, 33 and verses 5 through 7 of chapter 6. Because for Solomon, who was immersed in the teachings and the scripture of Israel, he would have known that the words he communicates are coming in the stream of a communication of words, coming from the revealing God, Yahweh, who has given us his word that we might live. So let's just look at Deuteronomy 5.33 and chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, to kind of see the connection here. There, Moses instructs the people of God, after they're liberated from Egypt, before they enter the promised land, these words. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. See, Solomon, in instructing his sons, is directly in line with this text, saying, listen to my teaching as I instruct you as we walk on the way, as we lie down, as we live our lives together. He wants to instruct them in the word of God that they would live well for the glory of God day in and day out. Now, I do realize this morning that not all of us had wise and godly parents who instructed us in the word of God, who taught us to live practically and obediently to what scripture says. But I want to say to you that regardless of whether you've had a literal father or mother who has done this, the Proverbs, by the way, very big on a mother's instruction as well as a father's instruction. Regardless of whether you've had a literal faithful father or mother, you have had many spiritual fathers and mothers by God's grace to you in the church. This is a place of spiritual fathers and mothers instructing one another in the fear of the Lord according to his word. Of course, in the church, we have the elders who are responsible for guarding the doctrine and protecting the teaching of the church and instructing all of you shepherding alongside of you to teach you the ways of Scripture, to obey the Bible. But there's also leaders in the church. And actually, Paul says that you also to one another are to be voices of the word of God to each other. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, one of my favorite verses, Paul, the apostle, writing many, many years after Solomon, he said these things, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So you have a role to play as a spiritual father or a mother to those around you. And if you're here in this community, you have a role to play also in receiving admonition and exhortation and rebukes and encouragements from others. We're all part of this. The question, though, is this. What effort are we willing to make not to forget what we've learned? What effort are we willing to make not to forget what we've learned? Today, after all, we live in a world where it's so easy to become distracted. And I think one of the most significant obstacles to us remembering the truth of God's word, remembering what we've been instructed by spiritual mothers and fathers, are the things we hold in our hands and keep in our pockets. Our interaction with various sources of digital media, maybe even in this sermon already, you're like, man, my phone just vibrated. I wonder if I can casually just pull it out and check it. Because we're so conditioned to hunger and to thirst to fill our minds with entertainment day in and day out. Whether that's through our cell phones, through watching TV, through video games, etc. But I think we have a problem on our hands. Because all that meaningless entertainment, it drives out the life-giving words of instruction that we've received. It causes us to be forgetful of what we've been taught. So, on your journey to become the wise person in Proverbs chapter 3, can I encourage you and can I challenge you? I'm doing a couple of very practical ways. First, I want to encourage you to take time to cut out the distractions that are keeping you from remembering. I want to challenge you 
to start to put into your regular rhythms of your life hours and days and weeks even where you don't consume media for your entertainment. Periods of fasting from that in order to remember and absorb the word of God. Second, I want to encourage you to have regular hours and days and even weeks perhaps where you aren't on your phones at all. Are there times in your life when you can just put that thing on the shelf and leave it there? Let that be a blessing to you to start to cultivate your heart, to long for and to seek out other things. I also want to encourage you to start to bring positive inputs into your life. And you can begin by simply writing down in a journal the things that you are learning from the Word of God. Write down what you've been instructed. If a passage of Scripture or a verse stands out to you, why don't you write it out? My wife does this all the time. She writes on post-it notes uh, and puts them all over our home, verses that have stood out to her, verses that have been spoken to her, verses that have challenged her. So our house is just this potpourri of, of verses slapped in all of the walls, but it's a blessing to her, to me, and to our children. It helps us remember. See, I know that you are all smart people who've memorized and studied many different things in your lives. But none of the things that you've studied come with the glorious promise of remembering the word of God taught to you in these verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So the first characteristic of the wise person who lives life well is that they don't forget good biblical instruction from wise and biblical spiritual fathers and mothers. The second is that they do not forsake love and faithfulness. Look at verses three to four. Solomon writes, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness are the topic of these verses. Two Hebrew words to hold on to as character traits of our lives. Two Hebrew words. The first, that steadfast love. That love is the word chesed. It's translated love here. The other one is emet. And that is translated faithfulness. And chesed in Hebrew is the idea of a loving commitment to another person for their good through thick and thin. If you're wondering what that can look like concretely, it's a dogged loyalty. A dogged loyalty is a good translation of chesed. And emet communicates a complementary idea, the word translated faithless. It communicates faithfulness, or we could say truthfulness. Because a person who is faithful, who is an emet person, they do what they say they will do. They keep their word. They're dependable. And in scripture, as Solomon writes this, he knows that the model for faithfulness and love, for loyalty and dependability, it's not us. He knows it's God. God is the one over all who is faithful and true, dependable and loyal. And as he wrote these words, it would have been easy for him to remember all the stories of God's patient, steadfast love and faithfulness to the people of Israel as he loved them, rescued them from Egypt, 
as he fulfilled his promises and gave his own father, David, the kingdom. But of course, for us who stand on this side of the cross, the perfect display of God's loyal love and dependability was the way that even when we were most sinful, God didn't abandon us. And he's never forgotten his promises to us. Because through the person of Jesus Christ, God, the judge of all, became the judged. He became a human being to be judged for our sin and in our place. So far before we've ever been loyal to him, he's been loyal to us. Far before we learn to be faithful, he has faithfully fulfilled all his promises to save us. And here in Proverbs 3, verse 3, Solomon says the wise person is a person who imitates God's own loyalty and dependability outwards in our own lives toward other people. We are to be as he is to us towards others. It's a radical and a countercultural teaching. I think what the Word of God's instructing here is perhaps one of the most radical and countercultural things you can read today. I want to explain why that's the case. I think it's the case because our culture, I don't think I'm overstating this, our culture is not this. In fact, I think our culture is perhaps one of the most selfish and unreliable cultures that have existed in human history. We're way the other direction from what Scripture is calling for. For example, I keep seeing advertisements for the best five places to live for a digital nomad uh, on my internet usage, which is kind of crazy because it's not relevant to me at all. But it says something about who we are and what we value as a culture to even have those entire uh, advertisements. Because to be a digital nomad is to live free from ties of loyalty to city, to employer, to community, it's the freedom to live purely for me. What city's best that I want to live in? What's the best experience that I can enjoy in my life? What's the most money I can achieve or the most comfort I can have for myself? Doesn't that say a lot about who we are and the values that we live for as a culture? It's very different from where we've come from. There was a time in our society when I think we valued a bit more of this idea and these virtues that we see in scripture, a time when loyalty was praised, a time when a person would choose to willingly be constrained in many areas of their lives because of their deep loyalty to family, to community, to their local church. That's become less and less the case in our modern era. Now we live free and for ourselves and our selfishness makes us deeply unreliable. So imagine then with me how much of a witness it would be to the glory of God when we hear these words of the Bible and receive this instruction for us. Imagine what kind of a community we would become if we obeyed this. If we were characterized and we pursued as a goal of our life loyalty and dependability in love towards others. What would happen? What would happen here? I don't know if you realize this, but making a difference in a neighborhood through the work and the ministry of a local church, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes generations. I don't know if you realize this, but to truly impact someone's life for good, it takes years of faithful, loyal, 
loving them. And making any sort of difference with the lives that we've been given by God as a gracious gift, it's going to require us to kick our selfishness to the curb, Christ City. We must commit to living dependable, loyal lives for the long haul if we're to live for the glory of God here. So let me invite you. Why not start today? Why not start today here in this church? Start by loyally committing to come to this gathering as often as you're able. Let's do something countercultural as a church community here. Let's start planning our vacations around Sundays, not our Sundays as times for vacation. See, in Hebrews 10.25, we're commanded not to neglect meeting together as the church. And the reason for that command is that we won't grow in loyalty and faithfulness unless we meet together regularly. You know when the countercultural formation for the Christian happens? On Sunday. It's a special and an important time when we are together. Because we come here, Christ City, we come to put our selfishness to death here. We come here to decrease in living for ourselves so that we can increase in living for the glory of God. We come here to be filled with the love of Jesus who sacrificed everything for us and for our salvation. Second, I want to encourage you, would you consider growing in loyalty to the people who are here? Invest in their lives. I want to encourage you to Prioritize building friendship and community here in this congregation, but also here in this neighborhood. So the price of loyal, dependable love is very, very high. It's costly. It requires great personal sacrifice. In fact, it costs Jesus his life on the cross for you. But the reward of a sacrificial life of loyalty and dependability is a full life. A life that brings life to every person you touch. A life that when you are dead and gone will have been useful and have mattered for something. So which will you choose? Selfishness or loyalty? flakiness or dependability. Only one path will lead to your life. Verse 4, to your life finding favor and good success in the sight of God and man. It's challenging, isn't it? So the wise person, they remember the word of God they've been taught. They are loyal and they're dependable. And third, they trust in the Lord with all their heart. Look at verses 5 to 8. Solomon writes, trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, in the covenant God who's revealed his words to us in scripture. Trust in him with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
perhaps our greatest obstacle to growing in wisdom is leaning on the wrong thing, leaning on a broken crutch and falling over in the decision-making of our lives. Rather than putting our trust in the Lord, we trust our emotions, we trust our inner desires, we trust our experience, and we trust our knowledge. It's usually the things that we base our decisions in life off of. But trusting in those things, I want to show you, is very problematic. If we don't have time to run through these things a lot, we can talk about it after the gather, gathering if you have questions. But I want to show you at least a couple of reasons those things are problematic. For example, when I trust my emotions, man, I've come to realize that that distorts my reality, not clarifies it. I mean, it feels very real, but the next day it's not real at all. Or when I turn instead then to try to base my decision-making off of my inner desires as sure guides of what will lead to my happiness. I mean, that's just crazy. I think we kind of all know that. No one thinks that they should trust their desires to go to the refrigerator as a sure guide to life, right? We need to curtail our desires and, and bring them into line with a greater truth that we live for. Or experience then. What about that? Can we trust our experience? Can we trust that as a foundation for our life's decisions? Well, no, obviously not, because nobody here has had very many experiences. Not nearly enough to steer us towards what is right and will lead to a good outcome on a regular basis. So then instead, perhaps we should just trust in reason. That's trustworthy, isn't it? Well, no, because even the smartest of us has a ridiculous small amount of knowledge. Even the most knowledgeable don't know that much. And what that means is that even the most knowledgeable have to trust a community of other people, their data and their conclusions. And you know what? I hate to break it to you folks, but none of us have some kind of a inner self-correction thing going on in our brains that can keep us from error in the conclusions that we make. So often we are absolutely convinced that this is the right path because my reason has worked it out and we're wrong. And we're wrong. So if our feelings and our desires and our experience and our reason are unreliable to show us how to live well, then that means we're in the dark. Who's going to show us how to live well? Where can we go to learn to live wisely? You got to turn to the creator God who made us, who made this world that we live in, who loves us, who knows how we operate, and he knows how it will be best when we live according to his instruction. He says to us through Solomon, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Our city, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You know, that word acknowledge is a little bit weak. In, in Hebrew, it's just in all your ways, know him. It's, it's a relational word. Saying in all your ways, know the Lord. Walk with him in relationship. Pray to him. Seek his direction and his will. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This God wants relationship with you. Let him correct you according to his word. Because when we do this, there is great reward. Solomon continues in verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment 
to your bones. Don't we want healing and refreshment? I mean, we all do. We're all constantly looking for those that will guide us into healing and refreshment to restore the deep psychological inner person of who we are. Maybe the reason we're suffering is because we do not trust the Lord to guide us. The reward for trusting the Lord is healing, a deep restoration of our inner person. So we're to remember the teaching, to be loyal, we're to trust in the Lord. But the fourth trait of the wise person who lives well is that they honor the Lord. Look at verses 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Look, we all want to prosper. But the only way to truly prosper in life now and for eternity to come is to put the Lord first above everything else in our lives. The first fruits that Solomon writes about here, they're the first fruits of the harvest. They were the first fruits in this agrarian ancient culture to ripen. And it was these that the people were supposed to bring as sacrifices to the Lord, sacrifices of thanksgiving and of worship and of honor to him. But it was a troubling thing to do because the first fruits were not a guarantee that the rest of the crop would ripen afterwards. So it was tempting for them to hold back the first fruits, not to give what was first, but to take care of themselves first and only give to God what was left over. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. That's often how I live my life. But the heart of the wise person is different than that. Because the heart of the wise person here, they're not stingy in their relationship with God because their first priority, their very delight is his honor over their honor. His glory over their glory. His praise over their praise. His excellence and his worth far above everything else in life. And they're content to grow smaller and smaller and smaller as he increases greater and greater and greater through the life they've been given. And they give to him first. First from their finances as they generously support the work of his kingdom. The work that we are doing, by the way, here as a church. First, from their time and their energy as they prioritize serving him, living for him. In this rich relationship with God, where he is first in everything, they are richly and abundantly blessed. Now, we have to say, it is a fallen and broken world. So don't read this as a promise that if you want to be healthy and very rich, just give to God first. There's no guarantee that that outcome will be the case. But putting God first will be great prosperity to you in the most important ways that you can imagine. It will result in a life well lived. It will result in blessings of beautiful relationships, in peace, and in confidence, this is best of all, before God when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. So how can you start? That's the most important question. What does this look like? I'm going to give you a couple helpful things to think about. You can start by maybe not opening your phone when you wake up, but opening your Bible. Putting the Lord first that way. You can start by 
at the beginning of the year or whenever you do this, don't plan your vacations first. Plan your giving first. I think we might start with not planning your fitness routine first, but your prayer and your Bible reading habits. We can be very, very diligent to receive a fitness goal. That's, that's proven time and again in this congregation. You guys are very fit people. Well done. But do we do the same sort of thing to achieve the goals of, of being in the word of God and in prayer with him on a regular basis? All right, last but certainly not least, the fifth characteristic of the wise person is that they do not despise discipline, but they accept it as a sign of God's love for them. Look at verses 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. When the history of God's people, Israel, God often brought them hardship to train them to turn away from their idolatry and return them back to him so they, they, they might have true and flourishing life and relationship with him. And in our lives, God is doing a very similar work. See, God is a God who disciplines his children because he loves them. He is a father who passionately loves you. So much that he's willing to discipline you by bringing hardship into your life, to turn you aside from foolishness and evil, to grow you in the beauty and the glory and the goodness of his own character. He wants life for you. In the English professor, very famous English professor and the Christian author C.S. Lewis, he beautifully illustrates the mystery of God's love for us and his discipline this way. He writes this, over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it is not exactly as he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, he will take endless trouble and thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. Imagine that conscious picture. Ow, it hurts. Stop it. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed for us a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but less. See, God is passionate about you. He's passionate about who you are becoming in your life. He's passionate about what your life will amount to when it's fully lived. See, discipline isn't a sign of God's anger. It's a sign of his love. Arduous discipline is what leads to a musician creating incredible music. Arduous discipline is what leads to great athletic achievement. And the loving discipline of your heavenly father decade after decade is what makes us beautiful and wise. The question is, will we humble ourselves not to despise the Lord's discipline and his rebuke through his word? Will we humble ourselves to receive it as signs of his great love for us? Again, look at verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father of the son in whom he delights. 
Look, I, I realize that this is a broken world again, and not all suffering that we experience is directly our Father's disciplining hand. I think we can say that. But very often the Lord does use the situations in our lives directly to teach us, to train us, to discipline us. In my own life, it's a very small example. I already said don't trust experience. I'm going to give you a little bit of my experience. It's dangerous. I'm going to do it. In my own life, I know that, that I've only really grown when the Lord has brought suffering into my life. I have grown otherwise, but, but not nearly in the ways as when I've been going through very difficult times. And he's used those moments to draw me more deeply into relationship with him, to learn from him, to receive his word, to be changed little by little, to become more like Jesus. So do not despise the discipline of your father. He loves you and he wants more for you. Solomon, in this passage, he's given us this portrait of the wise person, and it's a glorious picture. It's a hopeful one. But it's also a really deeply challenging portrait, isn't it? Because if we are honest, we have to admit that we really aren't that wise. If we're honest, we have to admit that we've all turned aside from the wisdom that God would have for us. We've hated God's correction and instruction, and many of us have reaped bitter consequences in our lives as a result of it. But Christ City, I want to share with you, there is such good news for us this morning because God is a God who loves you and who has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come in his mercy to do a miraculous work in the lives of foolish people like us for the power of his Holy Spirit to make us new. The good news of the gospel is that when we turn to Jesus in trusting faith, we aren't who we used to be. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He is now presently at work by the power of his Holy Spirit faithfully changing you. And the work that he's begun in you, if you trust in Jesus, he will be faithful to complete. He fulfills his promises. And the portrait that we're being redrawn into isn't some abstract wisdom portrait in this book in Proverbs. We're being drawn into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the one who perfectly remembered his father's teaching. The one who was loyal and true, even going to the, tr- to the cross. The one who trusted the Lord, honored the Lord first, and accepted discipline, even when it meant that he would have to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And this glorious, beautiful, wise Savior wants to help you and to grow you in wisdom. All you must do is come to him. Admit your failures and your sin. And ask him to make you wise. He will fulfill his promises. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would do a great work in us through this sermon, through this passage, through this series, that we would come out the other side of September much wiser than we presently are. Lord, that we would grow to glorify you in our lives as we look more and more like Jesus because of your gracious work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For any of those that have not yet trusted in Jesus in this room, Father, I pray that you would turn them to you. 
that they would see the beauty and the goodness and the wisdom of your word, and they would hunger and thirst for more life than they've yet found on their own, and they would find it in submission to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.